Alrighty, hello and welcome to another episode of the Couch Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Mike, and this is episode 12. We are live for the first time ever. Um, I've been talking about going live forever. Um, I didn't want to do it because still only 30 subscribers, uh, 80 followers on Twitter or something like that. So not much of a following yet, not many people to hop on and so far zero viewers so worst case no one will watch and I'll upload it but just in case maybe someone will hop in and uh, we'll see how that goes so I'm hype let's do this it's been a long day for me um, it's almost 10 p.m. over here in New York uh, just got a bunch of shit done and hyped to just relax kill some white claws and uh, break down some fights so without further ado Let's quickly recap last week because there's a bunch to recap, and then we'll jump right into it. We got quite a card in front of us. <clears throat> Alrighty. So, we completed last week minus 5.42 units, which... All things considered is pretty damn good, honestly, because <clears throat> I went into that. If you watched my show or if you saw my Twitter posts, you know that I went into this um, very concerned because beforehand, about a month before, a few weeks before, I had parlayed. Uh, I, pretty much, I put like 7.5 units total on parlays with Yan, Volk, and Hamzat. And those three were the last ones I needed or the only ones, depending on the parlay. Everybody hit, except our boy Peter Yan. And he's my favorite fighter, so it hurt me doing it. But I I had a feeling. I had a feeling that, not that Sterling was going to win, but that it was going to be close. And I, I thought so because I felt that Sterling wasn't himself in that first fight. As a huge Yan fight, fan, I expected a harder fight the first time. So I kind of expected a hard fight the second time. I also know that we don't get the same kind, same fight twice usually when we get a rematch. It's usually a whole different kind of fight. Great example is Rose in every rematch she's ever been in. Kamaru in his rematches. I guess him and Covington went a pretty much the same except for uh, the finish in the first fight. But you get what I mean. Regardless, I ended up last minute playing. Uh, I played Aljamain Sterling. Let me double check. I did Sterling wins by decision one unit at plus eight hundred to win eight units, and if not for that play, if not for that play, I'd be down thirteen units. So I'm really glad I did that. Uh, the straight picks we ended up profitable with. I had Mackenzie Dern for one point two units that hit, Matson for a unit at plus one twenty three hit, Darian Weeks one unit at plus two eighty did not hit. Um, a unit on Fremd at a total of, let's see, around plus 170, plus 175. I had 0.9 units on him that way and 0.1 unit on him by sub. None of that cashed, obviously. Raquel Pennington, two units at minus 160. That cashed. Uh, Kay Hansen, plus 120, lost to Pierre Rodriguez. You know, I was pretty surprised by that outcome, but it is what it is. Hansen looked great in round one and then just fell off. And then Arce... Two two units at minus 183. The dude looked like a minus 400 favorite, so that was good. I was a little worried about him backing up and how the judges would see that, but 
And then uh, nothing really too crazy that we hit. Volk by TKO. I hit that for a half unit at plus 300. Pretty much everything else lost. Um, I had some parlays with Arce Volk, Arce Chemaev, and the three of them. So those all hit. None of my props hit other than the Volk one. Uh, I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to bet Vandera Alenik um, over 1.5. I really just should have gone with Alenik. Uh, by sub at plus 165 I tried to get fancy and that's what happens I I had I I knew Olenek was gonna win I knew that's how he would have to win but you know hindsight's 2020 but all right so let's cut that out enough of that and let me pull up our actual card all right and let's do it okay so our very first fight of the night. Cheers, Couch Warriors. Our very first fight is... I believe it's pronounced Alatang A. Lee. And not Haley Alatang. But I'm going to just go with... Uh, I'm going to call him Haley Because that's just the easiest way to do this. So we got Alatang Haley versus Kevin Kroom. Haley is 14, 8, and 2. He's 30 years old. He's five foot five. He's got a 66.5 inch reach, and he's training out of Fight Ready in Arizona. I know it says Team Alatang over there. I think that's because he owns a few gyms, but I'm almost positive that's not where he's training out of now. He's, I, I mean, not. I mean, I know. I know he's at Fight Ready. I just saw him have a picture with uh, the Korean Zombie on his Instagram. So I, I, I know he's at Fight Ready. And then on the other side, we got Kevin Kroom. 21 14 and 0 he's 34 years old 5 foot 11 with a 73 inch reach and he's training out of glory mma now which is great for a guy like him it's really the camp for a resurgence right you look at tim elliott and all the other guys that are over there it's kind of guys who were, were struggling and now are having a lot more success so hopefully that can apply to Kroom as well i thought we were already starting to see it with the brian kelleher fight but we'll talk about that in a second so, I mean, first we got we we got to recognize the the size difference here. It's huge. Kroom is normally at one forty five, so I'm actually a little worried about him coming down to one thirty five, which is where this fight is. I haven't really heard that talked about much, but I'll bring it up in a bit, especially with his cardio, which I don't love. But he does have what is it? A seven inch reach advantage, six inch height advantage, and he is a BJJ brown belt. So. Dude can grapple too. Kroom's got six sub wins, three sub losses. Uh, Haley doesn't have any lo any sub losses, but he does have three submission wins. But they're all a while ago. And yeah, I mean, for this one, I'm on I'm on the Kroom side. I'm pretty happy with Kroom as my pick. I, he was one of the first ones I, I noticed when I saw one plus one fifty five. I just dropped a unit on it. I think he's gonna have the better striking, even regardless of the height and reach advantages but with those i think he's going to have the better striking for sure he knows how to use his length he puts together good combinations good one twos um all his basics looked good in his fight against kelleher i had i had money on him there and i was pretty happy with it i mean obviously i wasn't happy he lost but i thought he did good and he i thought he showed some good things um good right hand he throws some uppercuts which are which are low-key good hooks good teep kick but and on the other side with Haley, I just feel like his striking is pretty 
meh, I would say. Throws a bunch of sloppy overhand rights, decent jab. He puts together okay combinations, but he's going to be a lot smaller here. He keeps his chin up, so he, and he's a bit hittable. His striking numbers are 58% striking defense, but personally, it doesn't look that good to me. He gets touched up quite a bit. Uh, Gustavo Lopez was having success against him. Uh, that fight went to a draw. But, you know, I, I see a lot of people mentioning, okay, uh, Haley can just grapple fuck here, and that's how he's going to win. But he did, he's not the one who wrestled against Gustavo. It was Gustavo who wrestled. He got like three takedowns, I think, on, on Haley. Haley was the one striking. Um, if he doesn't wrestle Kroom, I'm not sure how he wins this. I, does anyone really think he's better on the feet? I don't think so. I feel like Kroom's just better on the feet in general. I think... He, if it goes to the ground, he should be fine. If Haley does take him down, I don't see him holding him down. You got 4% control time, 4, 2 against for Haley, 12% for 14 against for Kroom. Yeah, I'm I'm high on Kroom here. I think Kroom wins. I don't know if it's by sub, by KO, by decision. But at plus 155, we don't have to get fancy. Just throw a unit on him and call it a day. Uh, not confident enough to put more than that, but enough to put a unit down just had one person in the in the live view for like a second and then they hopped out maybe nervous but all right so yeah the pick here is Kroom. um i mean i'm a little worried that he can get grapple fucked but he should be okay um camera just got blurry for a sec but yeah the pick is Kroom. just a unit though just in case he does end up getting grapple fucked all right our next fight up We've got Sam Hughes versus Estella Nunez. Sam Hughes is 5'4 and 0. Oh. She's 29 years old, 5'5. Five five. She's got a 64 and a half inch reach. <laughs> if you guys hear that in the background, that's my cat. She's in heat and um, she's pretty loud. So I apologize about that beforehand. But on the other side of this, we've got Estella Nunez. She's 6'2 and 0. Oh. 20, what is that? 29 years old. Five foot four, 66 inch reach. So she's got about a two inch reach advantage and she's an inch uh, shorter. But yeah, I mean, this one, I'm pretty, I, I think this is my biggest play of the night, honestly, which is a little worrying because we just saw Nunez lose. But like, look, she lost to Ar Ariane Carnalosi. Was that her name? Who she just fought? I believe that was who. Yeah. If you've seen that woman, she is shredded shredded she's like a jessica andrage type fighter she's one of those short stocky ripped women and that's who estella nunez struggled with she she had a hard time staying up on the feet but when she was on the feet she was piecing her up all, all over she, she she's she's honestly really good on the feet when i first saw her striking i was i got pretty hype got a fantastic one too really good hand speed good jab good combinations great output uh, she got good footwork, steps out of shots well, backs up a bit much, but I highly doubt that Sam Hughes is going to be backing her up just like Ariane Carnalosi is. There's quite a bit of a difference there, but just moving my phone. But yeah, I, I, I feel like for Sam Hughes to succeed here, she's going to need to wrestle and we just, we haven't seen it. 
Um, she's 0-3 on takedown attempts. Her, what is it? What is it? Three fights in the UFC? Yeah, she's had three fights. And uh, those were Loma, Luke Bunmi, Lu- Luana Pinheiro was the most recent one. And the, her first fight was Tisha Torres, who, who finished her in the first round. It was like a referee, uh, doctory's, doctory, doctor stoppage. Um, yeah, I think she's going to get pieced up similar to that Torres fight, honestly. I mean, obviously Nunez has no Tisha Torres, but her striking is really good. And Sam Hughes got pieced up by Luana Pinheiro, who's even smaller than her. All right? Like, she literally got pieced up by a woman shorter than her. How is she going to do against someone bigger than her, who's got even better striking, in my opinion, than Luana does? Yeah, I mean, we've seen Hughes fight uh, uh, wrestle on the regional scene just a little, but really not that much. Um, she got submitted by Vanessa Demopoulos from Vanessa's back, so that doesn't give me much hope for her top control. She is training at a Fortis MMA, but also Fortis hasn't exactly had the greatest success lately, so I'm not even sure what to make of that. And Nunez is over here training at ATT, so I'm sure that she's getting the right looks. I'm sure she's getting her wrestling in. I'm sure that she's working on it. And I, I honestly, I expect her to walk here. I really do. I have 3.5 units money line on her at minus 200, and I have a half unit parlayed with Sabatini. I haven't parlayed with essentially every favorite I like because I, as we'll talk about later, I really like Sabatini here. But we'll get there. So the pick here is Estela Nunez. Um, I think she wins the fight on the feet fairly easily. Now I'm starting to wish I did live already in the past so I could be used to like people coming in. That shit's nerve-wracking. It was one person and I almost pissed myself. All right, but we'll get we'll get there. All right, so... For our next fight, we got Trey Ogden versus Jordan Levitt. Ogden is 15, 4, and 0. He's 32 years old. 5'11 with a 71.5 inch reach. And he is also training at a Glory MMA over with uh, Kroom, who is the first fight of the night. And then on the other side, we got Jordan Levitt. He's 9, 1, and 0. 26 years old. 5'9, 71 inch reach. And he's training at a Syndicate MMA. so you got about a two-inch height advantage for Ogden. Not much in terms of reach advantages. And one thing worth noting is Ogden is on 20-day short notice. So that's worth mentioning. I'm not sure if it'll really matter that much. He's a fairly active fighter. He's got plenty of fights recently. Um, I'll pull up his most recent one. I believe he beat J.J. Okonovich on the same card that Ugly Man Holmes got signed. Let me just double check that for everybody, including myself. Yeah, so that was November 2021. So it's been a little while, but what's it been for Levitt? I believe it hasn't been much shorter for him, if even. Yeah, that he was in December 2021, so just a little bit sooner than uh, Ogden. Um, obviously, Levitt has the UFC advantage here. He's had four fights in the UFC. Ogden's had zero. Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's seen Levitt knows what knows what we're dealing with already. The guy can just grapple, and that's it. He reminds me a lot of a Chase Hooper. Um, I, I don't really see how he's different from Chase Hooper. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that he's training at a syndicate, but he is training at a syndicate. 
Uh, he is a southpaw, so that's helpful. Uh, Ogden is orthodox, I believe. But w what does southpaw really matter if you're not really throwing anything? I mean, Levitt throws kicks, sure. So at a southpaw, you got the liver kick open. But what else? He doesn't have any hands. He doesn't have any hands to set up the kicks. And he's one of the gu these guys who will just throw shots because they know if you take them down, they're cool to grapple with you. They rather grapple with you than strike with you. I just... Like, every time we've seen... Not every time, but the one time we've seen Levitt fight somebody who can also grapple, he lost. Cla Claudio Puelas. And Puelas is a good fighter, but he's not, like, elite elite by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think. At least not yet. And he he completely nullified Levitt's grappling. In, in round one, Levitt still looked like he was in it. But round two, round three, completely nullified. Racked up, like, ten minutes of control time, I want to say. And... Claudio won that fight, and then we saw Levitt fight Matt Sales, and honestly, Sales could have won that fight if he wasn't a fucking moron. I had money on Levitt, so I'm glad that Sales is a moron, but he could have won that fight. He was significantly better on the feet, even though he's nothing to write home about. Um, on the ground, he even racked up, like, what, a minute or two of control time, something like that, but then he got submitted like a dummy. Um, look, there's that concern with Ogden for sure. He has three sub-losses, two from the same guy in the exact same method, a guillotine within, I think, two minutes, before two minutes. But I, just, I think he's way better than Levitt everywhere, even in the grappling department. Like, Ogden's got fantastic striking, great one-twos, great cross, great combinations, great jab, um... He's all, he also seems a little awkward on the feet. You can tell that he's primarily a grappler, but he's got pretty good striking, significantly better striking than Jordan Levitt does. And a Kiarix shout out to pretty much my only fan. <laughs> Can't tell if you're in there now or I just got the message, but what's up, dude? Thank you for watching. I appreciate you, my only fan. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Levitt... I, I fully expect him to get pieced up here. He's live for a submission, sure. I think he's always live for a submission. He's one of those guys. He's got relentless wrestling, but what does that really matter if you're not getting the guy down? Um, I think Ogden's also got really great wrestling. He showed that with J.J. Okonovich. He's got great top control. He does good work from t up top. He's got 10 submission wins himself, so the guy's no slouch when it comes to the grappling department. And yeah, I mean, with the, with the height advantage, with with the striking advantage, with ha also having good grappling, I feel like he should be fine to win this fight, probably by decision, but who knows. I am playing uh, Ogden at minus 130, I think I played him for two units, and that's probably all I'm going to play with him. I don't think I'm going to go any deeper there, but yeah, so the pick is Ogden, probably by decision, but... We'll see. I'm hyped for that one. Hyped for Ogden to make his debut. This next one was probably the easiest bet for me to make. Uh, we got Chris Barnett versus uh, Martin Budai. Excuse me. Quick drink switch. So we got Chris Barnett versus Martin Budai. Barnett's 22, 7-0, um, 35 years old, 5'9", 75-inch reach, and he's training out of, I actually don't have it. It says Barnett Taekwondo Academy. I remember looking through his Instagram and not seeing Jack's shit, so I'm not sure where he trains. 
But hopefully he's getting some good training because he's going to fucking need it here. On the other side, we got Martin Budai, 9-1-0. 6 foot 4. He's 30 years old, 77-inch reach. I mean, this really comes down to Martin Budai being a real heavyweight and Chris Barnett just being undersized and not really belonging here in the first place. Um, they brought him in as a short-notice replacement against Ben Rothwell. And Ben Rothwell fucked him up <laughs> he was better on the feet and then he once he got him down barnett had no answer and he got submitted to be completely honest i don't think that highly of budai i i faded him with lorenzo hood which in hindsight was a terrible move because hood is garbage too but i don't think crazy highly of budai he's got decent striking pretty low output doesn't really put too much together. He likes to push guys up against the fence, throw some knees, elbows. I think that's probably what's going to happen here. Is Budai's going to push up Barnett against the fence after dodging some of the fucking weird shit Barnett throws. And then he's probably going to take him down is what I think. Or maybe hurt him with some knees and elbows, kind of like he did with Hood. Let's see what Kiarix is over here saying. Should easily push push him back, limit those crazy... Yeah, that's exactly what I think is going to happen. I I think that Barnett got really lucky when he beat John Volante. Probably helped that Volante was on his way out and that Volante never belonged at heavyweight either. And I was live there actually at 268. That was <laughs> really fucking lit. I had a little... I think I had like a unit on, um, on Volante, but I was totally cool with losing that unit after <laughs> seeing the spinning kick. That was pretty lit. Um... But yeah, Barnett doesn't really even have like good good hands. He, he throws looping strikes. He's really short. He's at, he has a hard time reaching guys. I I don't see how he wins this. Like he, he's not gonna land another speed, spinning wheel kick on Martin Budai. He's not gonna like. Is he gonna win a decision? How how would he win a decision? Budai would have to just give up after round one. And Budai has pretty good uh, cardio, so I don't think something like that's gonna happen. Barnett's not going to wrestle fuck him, <laughs> that's for sure, so, yeah, I got Martin Budai at, um, I got him at a sick price, I got him at minus 150-something, I think, minus 155, or minus 160, I put two units, I wish the, I wish I put more, but now it's like minus 210, 220, still kind of tempted, because I'd probably cap him as high as minus 400 here, I, I don't see a path of victory for Barnett, but... After seeing him open at minus 160, it's like hard to kind of get over that bump and then bet him higher. But so far, I'm going to keep my two-unit bet. Maybe I'll add on to him later on. But I definitely have Martin Budai to win the fight. I'm expecting a KO with ground and pound, but maybe off the fence too is possible. I feel like this was an unnecessary fight to make. And I've also seen so many conflicting reports. It says welterweight here. I've heard welterweight. I've heard lightweight. But according to Jesse Ronson's own Instagram, I'm pretty sure that they're going down to 155. Because he put up a picture of him at like minus 179 and was like, don't worry, I'm going to make it. So if if they're going down to 170, I don't see why he would ever post that. It's nine pounds isn't a cut, but... If they're going down to 155, which I thought is what's happening, then, you know, that changes a lot of things. Because Rafa going up to 170 doesn't make any sense. But all right, let me let me introduce them first, and we'll go over it. We got Rafa Garcia versus Jesse Ronson here. Rafa Garcia is 13, 2-0. He's 27 years old, 5'7", 
68 inch reach and he's training he's not at a team punisher uh, i saw that he spent some time at elevation and i believe he's now out in mexico now i know that he spent some time training over at uh fuck i'm blanking right now but i know that justin gagey was in his corner at the last event so yeah definitely getting good looks in um good wrestling over on rafa but all right i keep forgetting to introduce ronson <laughs> ronson 21 10 and 0 uh, 36 years old, 5 foot 10, 70.5 inch reach, and he's training out of Adrenaline MMA. I double checked that one. That is still where he is. Uh, we last saw Jesse Ronson in 2020. He fought um, Nicholas Dalby. He did not knock him down, but he, he he knocked him down, not out, and then finished him with a submission. I believe it was a rear naked choke. Um, low key, I didn't know this until I put the stats together but Ronson has seven submission wins and no sub losses so apparently he's quite a grappler himself uh Rafa Garcia six sub wins zero sub losses as well so we know that's his game we've seen it he's a relentless wrestler he's got like seven takedowns in his last fight I believe like five in the one before that I think I'll pull it up to double check but I'm pretty sure I'm accurate Hey, I'm nice with it. Yeah, seven, five, and then uh, he didn't get any against Nazarat, but that's that's because Nazarat was a very tough debut for anybody to make. Um, you know, I wanted to be high on Garcia, like a lot of other people. I lost money on him in the Grootsmacher fight. He won round one and then just kind of fell off. And then I bet on Natan Levy against him, so I lost money again betting on a Rafa Garcia fight. But honestly Nathan made a lot of mistakes and if he, he had played some cards right I feel like it would have been a completely different story in terms of who's winning the fight um I think that Garcia is gonna struggle on the feet here he throws a lot of looping strikes he doesn't really have much of a jab he's got a big overhand right and just focuses mostly on hooks everything's kind of looped so if Jesse Ronson throws straight he's gonna land first every single time if he can put forward a jab which he did do against Dalby should be good he did look a little awkward, I'd say, in terms of striking it against Dalby. Um, but it ended up working out. He caught him with a quick left hook. Watched a few of his fights before then. Um, his PFL bouts. He fought... Um, what's his fucking face? Someone notable. Natan Schult. He fought Natan Schult, which was a good fight for me to watch. Because Schult wrestles too. And... He started wrestling him, but only once Ronson was getting success on the feet, which I think he's going to get success here as well. I think that if Garcia can keep taking him down, then maybe he can win. But look, Ronson, before getting cut from the UFC, he fought back in 2014. Yeah, 2014, 2013. He, has three, he had three fights, right? All of which he lost by split. Mitchell Prezeris, who took him down seven times but attempted 15 takedowns. Ronson out, outstruck him 38-19. to 19. I'm reading right off the UFC stats right now. Then he fought Trinaldo. Trinaldo got him down once of four times. Then you got Kevin Lee split decision. Four, four takedowns for Kevin Lee out of 12 attempts. All right? So the guy's got pretty damn good takedown defense against guys who I would say are better wrestlers than Garcia. I mean, Kevin Lee and Mitchell Prezeris are two very elite grapplers. And, you know, he was able to hang with them. He got taken down, sure. But he didn't really get controlled all that much. 
and he ended up losing all close decisions. I'm not extremely confident on this one. I've seen a lot of different takes. I've seen some people tremendously confident on Ronson, maybe because they think this is at welterweight, and maybe it is at welterweight. But I don't think that really gives him that much of a di- like advantage. He's sure he's bigger, but he's not a natural welterweight either. He looked out of place against Dalby, and Dalby muscled him pretty easy against the fence. Um, I think that Garcia won't be able to muscle him like that, which is probably going to play a part in this fight as well. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I have a necessarily strong lean here. I just think that when it comes to the feet, Ronson's going to land better. He's going to land more. I think his striking is just crisper, straighter, and just all around just a better striker. I think Garcia's probably got the wrestling advantage, but you can't even say that he has the BJJ advantage because we're not sure. <laughs> Ronson's got more submission wins, and he just subbed a guy like Nicholas Dalby. Garcia hasn't gotten a single submission win in the UFC yet. so. And I think one of Garcia's wins is uh, Marcelo Rojo, if I'm not mistaken. I think I like remember watching it like last year or something for Rojo's debut. He fought Eric Gonzalez. We saw him get knocked out by Jim Miller. I'm wrong about Rojo. He didn't fight Rojo. He fought Chase Gibson, who we've seen on the Contender Series, and he beat him. And then uh, he fought... Have we seen Humberto Bondanai in the UFC at all in any way? No, I don't think we have. Yes, we have. He was he was in the UFC, and then he got cut. I thought so, because I, I remember watching the Benitez fight. But So he beat a UFC vet in Bondanai before making his debut. That was in 2020. Uh, I don't remember that fight. I remember the Gonzalez one, not that one. But regardless, he hasn't faced anybody like Ronson, and I just I think Ronson wins a decision. But I'm not even close to confident on this one. I've got a unit on Ronson at plus 100 to win a unit. I wouldn't play him any deeper. I think right before I hopped on stream, I saw him at like minus 110 or something. Let me see. You can still get him at plus 100 on uh, DraftKings and unibet but i'm not even sure who has access to unibet so if you want that plus 100 you got DraftKings and bet rivers and i'd hop on that soon if you like it but i'm not condoning it by too much because even though i'm on the ronson side i'm not i'm not terribly confident he has been out for two years um i've been hearing that was a ped thing but i don't think it is i saw somebody write in uh comments of another show that shout out to stats diggers but I saw someone note that um, it was a tainted supplement. I usually get the idea that tainted supplements are just an excuse when you get caught, but I don't actually know, so I'm not going to go around saying he was on steroids or anything of that sort. But he has been out for two years, which isn't a great look, and Garcia's been active. So, you know, maybe the cardio will be an issue. Who knows? I wouldn't bet a lot on this fight, but Jesse Ronson is my pick. This fight's got some of the craziest odds I've seen in a while. It like makes sense and doesn't make sense at the same time. We got Drocker Close versus Brandon Jenkins. Close is 11, 12, and 1. He's 34 years old, 5'9", with a 70-inch reach. And he has moved from MMA Lab to Fight Ready. I'm honestly a huge fan of MMA Lab, so I wish he stayed there. But I'm good with Fight Ready, too. Training with Cejudos and all the all the upcoming champs <laughs> or champ attemptees. 
And on the other side, you got Brandon Jenkins, 15, 8, and 0. He's 30 years old, 6 feet tall, 72-inch reach, and he's training out of Syndicate MMA um, over with Jordan Levitt. And I think we might have one more person from Syndicate on the card, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have Jenkins with, what is it, a 3-inch height advantage or a 2-inch height advantage and a 2-inch reach advantage, but... He just doesn't have anything to do in this in this fight. You watch his debut, or you can watch his pay, PFL bout too. Either one, excuse me, will give you the same idea. But in his PFL bout, he fought someone who's like pretty trash, he, uh, who got cut from the UFC. I want to say Jacob Kilburn, but I don't remember exactly. I'm gonna pull it up. I think it was Kilburn. Yes, it was Kilburn, and Kilburn got cut from the UFC after losing to Austin Lingo and Billy Quarantillo. Quarantillo is one thing, Lingo is <laughs> another. But, <clears throat> yeah, he fought Kilburn in the PFL, and honestly, Kilburn, as bad as he was, he was winning, in my opinion. He was winning the first round. And then Brendan Jenkins, he was getting backed up, backed out, backed up, didn't really throw much. And then he knocked him, Jenkins knocked him out with a, what was it, a flying switch knee? It's called the human highlight reel for for a reason. It's because he loves that shit. But if you watch my shows before, you know I, I don't like flashy guys. I don't like spinning moves. I don't I don't think it's worth the energy, the attempt, the how defensively irresponsible you end up when you do it. I'm just not a fan of it. And then Jenkins just doesn't have much else to back it up. It's not like like Kai Barallo, for example. We'll talk about him later. But he he looks for that knee too, that flying knee, the switch knee, but. He backs it up with other strikes, you know? He's not just throwing the knee and throwing spinning shit. <laughs> Jenkins only throws spinning shit, the knee, and other flashy shit. He'll put together, like, these combos where he kind of rushes in, and he's like, one, two, three, four, and then he'll, like, throw in a leg kick, too. But it, they don't do much damage. They don't really do much at all, except kind of, like, act as a filler. Um, I guess it's good to show different looks to your opponent, to mix it up, hit those legs, but... He leaves himself open, and his strikes just don't land much. Like, he doesn't have a jab. He he doesn't have a one-two. His combinations are meh. I just, I don't think very highly of him. Uh, he doesn't have much offensive grappling. He's not going to be able to grapple fuck close and get himself a decision. Um, and I think the biggest red flag is he fought Rong Zhu in his last fight. And I'm pretty hype. I'm I'm pretty high on Rong Zhu as a prospect, but. Dude's a wrestler, a grappler. He's not a striker. Jenkins got pieced up on the feet as if Rongju was a striker. So when I watched that, I was like, fuck. <laughs> I don't know if he's got an angle here. Because I went into this fight. I think I watched it. I actually broke this one down today. And I went into it. I was like, these odds are nuts. Let me find a way to bet Jenkins. And I was checking out the Jenkins inside the distance uh, decision no action. I saw it for like plus 250, I think. And if you do think that Jenkins has it in him to knock out close, I think that's a move. I don't think that Drocker is going to finish. And I don't think that there's any planet where Jenkins wins a decision here. So, if you think he's got a chance, Jenkins uh, inside the distance decision no action is a pretty decent look. I just, I can't get there because after watching Close's tape, I mean, I'm going to start this out with I also don't think that highly of Close. Uh, I, I just watched his tape back and, you know, he does everything well, but he doesn't do anything exceptionally well. He doesn't carry in insane power. He's got a really cool name, <laughs> but really dope name, honestly, Drakkar. But 
that like he's got good striking he's got basic striking though like i i couldn't even take that many notes on it like it's a good jab a good one two some good knees that he mixes in and he's got a good straight right hand but other than that like nothing crazy you know he's not like mixing up crazy combinations he doesn't have a crazy output he doesn't carry insane power he's just good but that's about it he didn't he didn't actually beat bobby green green got robbed uh the venata win was good um what, what was the other one other than Darius? The Christos Giagos fight. I watched that one right before this. And that that gave me a little bit of pause. Because I went into that thinking that he, he should bop Giagos. And he, he didn't. He did, he, he won, but it, it was pretty close. First round went to Christos for sure. And the only reason he started losing is because he gassed the fuck out. Um, One other thing I want to know from the Giagos fight is... He Christos hurt him with the same punch that Darius ended up uh, wobbling him with in the, in their sequence. I'm gonna talk about that in a sec. One of my favorite UFC moments of all time. But he got hit with that left, and that's the same shot that wobbled him from Darius. If you haven't seen Drakkar Close versus Benio Darius round two, you need to fucking watch it. Don't, round one doesn't matter. I I can tell you exactly what happens. Darius spends about the entire time on Drakkar's back. Um, just locked in, Drakkar standing, and Darius just hanging on his back for about three minutes, I think, four minutes. Then the second round starts, and they start just throwing hands, and then Drakkar hurts uh, Darius, backs him up against the fence, is le- teeing off on him, and Benilo's just throwing back and just rocks Drakkar once. You see that it doesn't really do much, and then he keeps it going, just finishes the guy. Shit was so cool to watch. <laughs> the first time I watched it, I was like, wow. But... I don't think he's going to have to get wobbled to, <laughs> to win here. I don't think he finishes Jenkins either. But the reason I, I was checking out uh, Drakkar close by decision at plus 165, I thought it was pretty juicy, especially because I was like, I was wondering, like, all right, he's gone to decision with the better fighters. How is he going to be against, like, a, ch- a shittier fighter? So I'm going to go look at his regionals and see if he went to decision there. He went to decision almost all the time. <laughs> I think he's got, like, two finishes, something like that. I'll double check right now. He's got one, two. He's got three finishes, but they're back in 2015 as the most recent one. Since then, he's been just decision after decision after decision after decision. Um, just the only reason that I don't think it's a good move is because Jenkins is just so damn hittable. The fact that Rongju could finish him like that, I think that Drakkar Close could also finish him like that. Um, Drakkar can mix in the wrestling too. We've seen him wrestle successfully against guys like Lando Venata, who is a really good uh, counter grappler himself. And yeah, I mean, there's just really not much more to say here. I'm not going to spend too much time breaking down a minus 800 favorite. I think that's what he is on Bet Online now. Because I, I don't think that's accurate, but I think it's just about accurate. I think minus 500, minus 400 is probably accurate. Uh,. Unless Jenkins gets like a crazy flash knockout, I don't see any path to victory for him. So, yeah, the pick is Drakkar there. Minus 500 is kind of whack. I haven't played anything on him yet. I might considering a chalk parlay with him and the and the two minus 400 women for just a unit just to have some action on it. But I'm a degenerate at heart. <laughs> I almost always have action on every fight. But otherwise, I'm not really going to be open to those. And here's one of them. 
We got Panny Kianzad versus Lena Landsberg. Lena Landsberg is 10, 5, and 0. She is 40 years old, 5'7", with a 65.5-inch reach, and she does still train out of Redline, I believe. Um, I literally double-checked right before the stream started because I wasn't sure. My girlfriend just sent, us, sent me the thumbnail for the show. I'm going to have to replace that when I hop off. But... Did I just introduce Panny Kianza? No, I didn't. All right, Kianza is 15, 6 and 0. She's 30 years old, 5 foot 7 with a 66 inch reach. And she, it says she's training out of Art Suave. I couldn't fucking tell. I looked it up. She's training somewhere in Sweden, but I'm not sure where. So I'm not going to really uh, guess. Uh, these two have already fought. They fought one time back in the day. I believe it was Lena Landsberg's debut and then Panny's second fight, second pro fight, I think. And I think Panny won that by KO, if I remember correctly. It was ground and pound. But I'm going to check it out real quick. Let's see. Panny, Lena. One thing worth noting is Lena hasn't fought since 2020. Uh, she f last fought. Who was that? Sarah McMahon, and I don't think she got a single strike off, or she got like one strike against Sarah, but let's see, run it back, it was, it was Panny's third fight was Lena Landsberg, and it actually doesn't show how she won, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it was a ground and pound TKO, um, yeah, I mean, this is a similar one to me to, like, Jordan Levitt, honestly, because Lena can't strike for shit at all. I, I watched her fights and I was like looking for some kind of distance striking and there's no fucking distance striking. She she just doesn't strike at a distance. She look, looks for that clinch and then she'll work from the clinch. She'll throw punches. She'll throw elbows and knees. But how are you not going to throw anything from distance and you're just going to run in there and grab them by the neck? Like what is that going to do for you? And like I just – I can't possibly even consider betting on somebody if they can't strike and i don't think she can strike her name's elbow queen i don't even think she threw that many elbows in the clinch uh, i was re-watching her versus um the macy chiasan fight and i wasn't impressed even a little bit i think that kianzad is probably going to have the better striking without not probably kianzad is going to have the better striking without zero doubt and i think she's got decent grappling to hold hold it down uh, Kianzad's been submitted twice, but Landsberg doesn't have a single submission win, so I'm not sure that that's a threat. And on the feet, I think Landsberg's not going to stand a chance. Uh, Kianzad's got a 77% takedown defense. She does all the right things. She did get stuck against the fence a little bit against Raquel Pennington, but Pennington is strong as fuck, and she's also significantly better than Lena Landsberg everywhere. So I wouldn't really hold that against Kianzad. And Kianzad still succeeded in the clinch against uh, Pennington. It wasn't like completely one-sided, and I believe the stats for control time were even a little bit close there. I'll pull that up now. Panny, panny, panny. Yeah, so her and Pennington each got to take... Yeah, I was right. So Pennington got six minutes of control time, and Kianzad got five and a half. That wasn't on top. That was almost completely on in the clinch on against the fence. Look, if she can hang with Pennington, she can hang with Alexis Davis in a really similar fight. She got the better striking. I think it's a clear Panny Kianzad uh, fight, but 
how are you going to bet her minus 400? I mean, it's just a ridiculous price tag to pay. I would not suggest that money line. Um, Kianza by decision is maybe worth looking at, but I think I saw it. It was like minus something, which isn't what you want to see for a prop. Very rarely going to be betting on minus something props. Uh, let's see. Landsberg. I mean, Kianzad wins by decision. Yeah, you'd have to pay minus 165. I, I guess getting a minus 400 favorite down to minus 165 isn't a bad look at all. But I just don't know if I'm going to end up pulling the trigger on it. I'm going to consider it probably. Maybe rewatch some more tape on Landsberg. See just how bad she is at distance. But... I'm fairly confident that Kianzad wins this. I don't think that she wins inside the distance. I don't think she has a single UFC finish. Let me check that out before I uh, say it for sure. Yeah, she's never won by finish So in the UFC. Has she ever won by finish, period? We know she did with Landsberg. Megan Von Hutum. Excuse me. Yeah, she's finished two women, so... I wouldn't expect a KO or a, a sub or anything of that sort here. I think we're probably just going to get a Panny Kianzad by decision. But I'll move on. No reason to... Oh, God. This next one. All right. I need to use the bathroom break because I'm about to go off on William Knight. I will be right back. got a dry ass throat today i didn't even smoke so i'm not sure why but anyways all right so this fight <laughs> when i saw it get announced and then i saw that it was at heavyweight i i got sick uh, and I'll, I'll explain why but we got devin clark versus william knight clark is 12 6 and 0 he's 32 years old six foot tall and he's got a 75 inch reach and he's training out of Elevation Fight Team, not Next Edge Academy of Martial Arts. He's out of Elevation, which is a fantastic camp. Trevor Whitman, Kamaru Usman, Rose Namajunas, Justin Gaethje, you know, fantastic camp. One of the best coaches of all time. And I do believe that his father has a tremendous part in his training as well. Because if you've ever watched a Devin Clark fight, you know, you've heard his dad yell, so... Uh, that's him. And then we got William Knight, 11-3-0. He's 34 years old. He's five foot ten, 73 inch reach, and he's training at a Thornton MMA. I tried to double check that, but couldn't really get any, any straight answers on it. Um, I need to take a sip. 
See, I feel like it, like it, like a dumb idiot for saying that William Knight's not good when he's got five five UFC wins. I, well, two of those are Dana White's contender series, but he got five UFC wins, three in the actual UFC, two on the contender series, and he's only lost two times: one to Maxim Grishin and once to Don Jung. Both decent fighters. I just, I think he's so fucking bad. Like, I remember when he was going on the contender series, and I saw that he was fighting Cody Brundage. I, I bet Cody Brundage big time there, and he looked so good at first. He took William Knight right down, got on his back, flattened him out with hooks, and just started letting shots rip. And how the fight didn't get finished, how he didn't finish the fight, beats me. And then William Knight, using his superhuman strength, just gets the fuck up. Brundage goes for another takedown, gets stuck on the side, and William finishes him with fucking elbows. And then, I remember listening to his post-fight uh, interview, and he was, like, surprised himself. It, it was just a whole wreck. And then I've been trying to fade him since he got to the UFC. And then I remember his Don Jung fight. I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to go with William Knight here. And then he lost. <laughs> but I've been fading him since. Uh, I lost money with the Alonzo fight. I did not fade him with Fabio Charant. And then I did fade him with Maxim Grishin. And, you know, he missed weight by like 13 pounds and then got beat up by Grishin at heavyweight. So I'm assuming that's why this fight's at heavyweight. I'm assuming William Knight is just done cutting weight for the most part. Especially, I think this was a fairly short notice fight. It only got announced like last week or the week before then. It's a fairly new fight. So maybe that's why it's at heavyweight. But I think that adds so much weird shit to this fight. Because as it is, it's a weird fight, right? You got William Knight, who's got essentially no technique. Ter- one of the worst striking defenses in the entire UFC. Leaves his chin up like that's his job. Uh, he's got no real striking. Y- you watch his KO of uh, Fabio Charant. Charant was winning on the feet. And then William Knight, literally, it wasn't even a fucking punch. It was like a swing of the arm like this. And it knocked it knocked Charant out, which was nuts. And it just shows you his power. And I mean, his power always shows. It shows when he's getting up off random shit from the ground, when he's just like nullifying tech. What I always say about William Knight is his strength completely nullifies people's technique. It's like the equalizer for him. And good for him. But it's it's so stressful, like, betting against him. Because, like, you see the guy fight, and you're like, he fucking sucks. He's got no technique. He's no good. But... His strength just equalizes. If the, if the dude makes a mistake, William Knight's going to finish his opponent. But I think that Devin Clark probably wins this. He's got the wrestling to kind of pull off what Brundage couldn't. Uh, he's also a very high-level wrestler. He's got a good background in wrestling. He's constantly wrestling his opponents. The only fight we haven't seen him wrestle in was the, was the Ion Kutalaba fight, really. Uh, he's got way better competition. You know, He's got losses to some of the greats over at light heavyweight, Jan Blakovich. Uh wouldn't call him a great, but uh, Anthony Smith finished him. Who else? Alexander Rockich wouldn't call him a great just yet either, but a tough dude. Also finished Devin Clark. Uh, yeah, I mean, y- you look at his fights. He got seven takedowns against Mike Rodriguez. Uh, he he got one against Alonzo Menafield. I remember watching that fight live. Uh, UFC 250, one, <laughs> one of the worst pay-per-views of all time probably. This is my first time I met Sterling, too. I, I was, like, pretty pretty disappointed in that card. But regardless, 
Uh, Devin Clark, you know, that showed me that he can deal with power. That showed me that he can handle guys who are very tough, who can hit really hard. He took Alonzo Menafield's best shots in round one. He took a fuck ton of damage from Ion Kutalaba. Uh, his, if you haven't seen his uh, post-fight picture with his teeth all kinds of messed up, I mean, it, maybe I can pull it up here. That would be funny. Oh, Lord. Okay. Trigger warning if anybody's not good with this kind of stuff. But, jeez, Louise. Can you guys you guys can't see the big one that I pulled up, but it's it's just that over there. His teeth are just all kinds of wrecked. That's horrible. But alright, enough of Devin's teeth. Yeah, I mean I think his striking's also better. I think he's got pretty good kicks. His striking's fairly basic, but he's got a good jab, nice hooks, good one two. Puts together some solid combos, but gets a little sloppy when he's throwing hooks. Just like I said, William Knight doesn't really have any good striking. He's low output. He throws huge heavy kicks that constantly miss. He's essentially only throwing hooks when it comes to hands. And he's not fast or anything like that. He just has power. That's really all the guy's got. I don't love the odds. I got Clark at like minus 170. I think I only parlayed him. That's all I did with him. Or maybe I played him straight. I don't remember anymore. I'll double check. Yeah, no, I didn't play him straight. I just did a, a half unit parlayed with Sabatini at minus 340, so it was plus 106. And I played a half unit just to have some action, but I'm just too worried that Devin Clark's going to get KO'd by night in some funky way, especially this that heavyweight. I don't think we've seen Clark fight at heavyweight. I do believe that Knight has fought there before. I actually think his his re, he fought on the regionals against Tafan Nechukwi. And I think that actually might have been at heavyweight. I'm going to check it out real quick. Tafan, Tafan. Now, that was a catch weight at 225. So has he actually fought at heavyweight? Let me double check real quick. Yes, he has. CES 59, he fought Jamel Jones at heavyweight. Um, his, his first contender series fight was light heavyweight, light heavyweight, light heavyweight, light heavyweight. Yeah, so he's got one pro fight at uh, heavyweight. That's it. I guess, well, you can also count Max, Maxim Grishin because that was ended up being at heavyweight. But Grishin's not a heavyweight. He does have a fairly impressive amateur record, 8-1-0. Uh, I was looking at it earlier. He's got a win over Matt Semmelsberger at, in 2017. Uh, he's also got a win over Jorgen, Jorgen de Castro in uh, 2017 as well, which is interesting. Jorgen's a heavyweight. But regardless of his past record, I don't think that he's got the goods to beat Devin Clark. I don't think he's good enough at anything in particular. We've seen him wrestle in the past, and we have seen Devin Clark get taken down by someone like Ian Kutelabo, but I don't think that William Knight's going to have that success. We've seen His wrestling worked against guys like Alexa Kamer, and I don't think that it's really going to be relevant here. So I do think Devin Clark wins, but because it's at heavyweight, because William Knight just neutralizes everything and makes no logical sense, I, I can't really be putting money on that fight. So... I just have my half-unit parlay with Sabatini, and I'm more than happy to call it a day there.
My camera keeps going blurry. I'm not sure why. But I can see it. Let me try to fix that real quick. Not sure why it's like that. But it's a problem to me. Any better? No, I'm still very foggy. Why? Alright, well that's the best I can do for now. Hope I think it's a lighting, but it seems like it got a little better. But alright. Next fight up, we got Angelusa making a super short, short notice uh, debut versus Munir Lazez. So we got Lazez, 10-2-0, 34 years old. Six foot one with a seventy-six inch reach, and he tr normally trains out of Team Nogara, Dubai. But I think most recently he's been at Extreme Couture, if I can tell correctly. And then on the other side, you got Angelusa, eight two and zero. He's twenty-eight years old, so he's quite a bit younger, six years. Five foot ten, seventy-four inch reach, so he's giving up two inches reach. He's giving up three inches. I believe that's three inches height. And he is training out of Sanford. If you've seen my show before, you know I'm a pretty big Sanford MMA fan. I think fairly highly of them. It's a really damn good camp. I feel like they've been putting out a lot of good products lately. Uh, you got guys like Gilbert Burns over there. And look at Gilbert, his last fight against Hamza. That, that, one of the most epic fights of all time, in my opinion. At least of the year. But I don't even know how I got there. But anyways... <laughs> um, Lusa, if you guys remember him, he was on the Contender Series. He fought Jack Della Maddalena. They had a fairly close first round with a really fire grappling exchange. If you're into that kind of thing, check it out. Um, I don't remember who started the takedown, but Jack was the first to scramble, and then it was just a scramble fest, and it, it was very high, high level. Definitely high level for a Contender Series fight. And it was good to see that Lusa has got the hips. He's got good movement. He, he's a good grappler. I thought going into that fight that he's got a judo background for some reason, but apparently it's Jack who has a judo background, so I'm not sure. But, alright, so Lusa, he's got a solid jab, good one-twos, decent hooks. He could put together decent combinations, but they could be better. Um, holds a decent guard, but he, he, he got pieced up quite a bit by Jack. It's not the worst thing in the world, Jack's a fucking animal, but... <laughs> Kiarik says, Sanford has the future Ian Gary. Good welterweight training partners. Ian Gary is an absolute mess. Dude, I've never seen someone delusionally living in their own world. When I when I saw that quote of his where he was like, me and Connor, uh, something, something from nobodies to something to everything. Two Irishmen. And I was just like, yo, <laughs> what do you think is happening out here? Like, did he think everybody was there for him in 273? Because they were there for Hamza, bud. And I don't even think that high. Like, I think Gary's a fantastic prospect. But you throw him in there with some of the best welterweights right now, he's going to die. Like, even if he fought Munio Azez, I think he'd lose. So, yeah, <laughs> Ian Gary. He, I think he's really good, but dude's got to calm down. But anyways, um, yeah, let's talk about Lazez a little bit. His last fight wasn't that all that impressive. He got he got finished by uh, Worley Alves with some body kicks, but Worley came in there looking to kill somebody, so you can't really blame Lazez. At the end of the day, Worley Alves is a tough, tough dude. He's got a win over Colby Covington, but Lazez in his in his debut when he fought uh, 
Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, he looked really fucking good. Um, I remember hearing about him leading up to it. People were like, oh, Dana saw some highlight reel and signed some guy. Literally, Kiarix is saying, does he realize these fights in the same division, d- division as Hamzad and Shafkat? No, he doesn't, bud. <laughs> he does not realize that at all. He literally thinks he's some kind of superstar. I still don't understand what he was thinking when he said he's one of the best talkers in the UFC. Like, what have you even said so far that <laughs> that could even put you in any kind of running? He hasn't even spoken enough. He's had two fights. At the time he said it, he had one fight that he was losing to fucking Jordan Williams. Regardless. Um, Lazez, fantastic striking, really creative shit. Lots of knees, lots of elbows. Paul Felder was like drooling over him because Paul loves the knees and elbows. I'm also a big fan. At the end of the day, they're really good strikes that people don't often see coming. And they can also cut someone up. And we've seen so many fights finished before their time just because the person was bleeding too much. And it's fair game. If the guy can do it, the guy can do it. It's fair game if the fight ends that way. So I'm more than happy to bet on a guy who's throwing elbows and always has that possibility. But he's also got great skill everywhere else i like his striking at distance i like his striking in the clinch i don't love that he backs up a little bit but that was also against abdul razak al-hassan who's a moving tank loose is similar in size and similar in stature but i i'm not sure i would say that he's as as strong as abdul razak al-hassan we're gonna have to see but i don't think so i'm not even sure he has does he have any ko's on his record i think he has a few let's double check that one Angelusa, he he has a retirement win over Rusam Hasanov and two KO TKO wins. Okay, so he's got some power, but not nothing we've seen really translate lately. We've had that one UFC fight with uh, not UFC Contender Series fight with Jack Della, and then we just saw him fight on that XMMA card where there was a bunch of UFC vets, and he fought John Howard, and he grapple fucked John Howard for like all three rounds. Um, on the feet, it was even, honestly, not that much of a difference. Howard was landing pretty well. But he just grapple-fucked him. And I really don't think he's going to grapple-fuck Lazez. Lazez got taken down by a throw with Alves. And we've seen Lusa mostly just stick to double legs. Lazez with his length, with his strength, I I just don't see it happening. I don't see him getting taken down. And he showed in, in the Abdul Razak Al-Hassan fight that he can grapple himself. He's got, he got like four takedowns, all of them doubles, I believe. Maybe one trip, but I think they were all doubles. He got a decent amount of control from top. Like definitely, He can definitely wrestle as well. I just think all around, Lazez is probably the, the better fighter. He's the better striker, and I think that he can hold his own in the grappling as well. Maybe even if I do give a little bit of an edge to Angelusa in the, in the grappling. Neither of these guys has a single submission win or a single submission loss. So I'm not I'm not thinking that that's live. We haven't really seen a Lusa attempt many even when he was on top of John Howard for three rounds. Um, sorry, just looking on my phone real quick. But um, yeah, my pick is Munir Lazez. I, I hopped on immediately when the line opened. I bet him at like minus 225 or something like that. What's good, MMA Jedi? Thank you for pulling up. Uh, Munir is always a fun watch, however. Yeah, he absolutely is. Hopefully this one doesn't end <laughs> as early as uh, his Alves fight. But yeah, I, I love his striking. The elbows, the knees are so dope. The way he was landing to the body under the guard of Abdul Razak Al-Hassan was very nice. 
And I, I think that's something he can do here to slow down Angelusa and maybe take away any power that the guy's carrying because, you know, short, stocky guys, they are going to carry power. But at the end of the day, I do think Lazez is still going to be stronger here too. Um, like I said, I got him at minus 225, which now looking at the odds, I guess is a little too much. But what is it now? He's like minus 200, I think. Yeah, he's minus 200 now. It seems to be moving towards Lusa still, so maybe if you're on Lazez, just wait for now. I'll probably add a few units if it goes down further. If it hits like minus 180, I'll be happy with that. But yeah, so Lazez is my pick, and we'll move right on. Oh, this next one's just a fucking ass kicking. All right. So we got Pat Sabatini versus TJ Laramie. Sabatini 16, 3 and 0, 31 years old, 5 foot 8, 70 inch reach, and he's training at Arenzo Gracie Philly over with all the studs over there. And then on the other side, you got TJ Laramie, 12, 4 and 0. He's 24 years old, 5 foot 6, 66 inch reach, and he's training out of what I believe is Maximum Training Center. I couldn't get a confirmation on his gym name right now from Instagram, but it does appear that he's training in Canada, so take from that what you may, but look, first of all, TJ Laramie has no business being a featherweight. He's like the size of some flyweights, and I really do think he could at least get down to bantamweight fairly healthily. I don't know why he's up here. His brother's the same way. His brother's even smaller, if I remember correctly, and he also fights at one of these weight classes. 145, 135, I don't remember. But I, th I think Laramie's undersized. Look, we've had, we, we've seen him have two fights under the UFC banner. One of them was a contender series bout. The other one was in the UFC. For the contender one, he fought Daniel Swain. And look, Swain... Swain yeah, I, I agree, Jedi. I have him parlayed with like every favorite that I like. I have like a half unit Sabatini with uh, Nunez, half unit Sabatini with um, pretty much every favorite I like. Beza, I think, too. Yeah. I put Sabatini Clark and then Sabatini Luque for two units, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, where does Laramie even win here? What can he do, right? So we look at the Daniel Swain fight, and he was winning kind of on the feet, but it was more so a grappling approach, and Swain gave up. Swain literally gave up. If you watch in between rounds, Swain told his corner, I think he was saying something was wrong with like his uh, something down there, maybe his ribs, but I don't think anything was wrong with his ribs because if you watch his fight with Camuela Kirk, he does the exact same thing. I don't remember if it was round one as well or if it was a round two, but he also quits on the stool. So, you know, that, that finish looked impressive at the moment because, you know, you see a guy making someone quit, you think, whoa. But then you see Swain quitting more often and it's like, all right, maybe it doesn't really mean much. And then his fight with, uh, what's his fucking name? Derek Minner. That just kind of showed that he's lacking in the striking department, in my opinion, is Laramie. He got rocked by like three hooks in a row or two hooks in a row by Minner before Minner uh, started pressing him backwards. And then, you know, the rest is history. Laramie shoots, Minner hits a guillotine, and the fight's over. And we haven't seen Laramie since for, what, two years? 550 days as of when I wrote this. So that was probably like, what, three days ago? So... He is seven years younger, but he's giving up four inches in reach. He's giving up two inches in height. And Sabatini, I mean, the dude's got one of the best fight IQs in the game, I'd say. 
he he is in he's in Volkanovski's weight class, so you know you can't say he's got the best of the best uh, fight IQ. But like, watch the guy fight. He's he's an extremely intelligent fighter. Like against Tristan Connolly, you can see him slowing down in round three because he knows he's already got it. That's not the best thing you want to see, but it also shows you the guy's thinking. The guy knows what's up. He's keeping track. You watch his fight against Jamal Emmers. That was more so Jamal being a moron and costing me money and a bunch of other people money. Jamal, if you haven't seen that fight, Jamal literally knocked him down, I believe, or hurt him big time. And, yeah, I think he knocked him down. And then instead of letting him back up, he followed him to the ground. And you, you guys know how that ends. He ended up getting hit by a, a heel hook, right? Yeah, it was a heel hook, I believe. And Sabatini tapped him out. I lost money, but um, it did show me something for Sabatini. And then when the next fight came around and he was fighting um, Tucker Lutz, yeah, MMA Jedi is saying he thinks uh, William Knight finishes Clark. I mean, um, Clark. Oh my God, I said that backwards. He thinks Clark dominates uh, William Knight. I agree. I do agree. I just worry that Knight's going to get one of his stupid knockouts. Like I said, the guy just carries an equalizer with him. It's ridiculous, that strength. I don't think he has any real technique. It's all the strength anytime we've seen him fight. But yeah, okay, I'll get back to this one. But uh, yeah, so Sabatini, you know, he's not like some crazy boxer. He's got pretty basic striking himself. He's got decent combinations, a pretty solid one too. And I, I do like his hand speed. But obviously, every his best game is definitely the wrestling. Uh, his wrestling and grappling is just relentless. His top control is really heavy. Tucker Lutz is no slouch on the ground himself, and he bitched Tucker Lutz on the ground. Uh MMA Jedi saying it was horrible fight IQ from Emmers. Yes, he even tried to hit Pat back with a toe hold of his own or a heel hook of his own. Yeah, couldn't be dumber. Literally couldn't be dumber. Reminds me of uh, when ja- Jamal Hill hopped right back into the guard of uh, Paul Craig after getting out. <laughs> Just hopped right back in. It's like the same shit. But hopefully Emmers learns. I think so highly of Emmers. I really do. I think the guy's a fantastic fighter, and I think he's got a really high ceiling. For what he can accomplish he's just gotta <laughs> he's gotta figure this out a little bit but yeah i think that sabatini on the feet's gonna be better he's got the length but i also think he's just gonna be that much stronger and considering that wrestling and grappling is laramie's game i don't think laramie's gonna be able to pull it off against sabatini renzo gracie like it's a fantastic camp and camps like that really do matter just look at the guys coming out of there sean brady Jeremiah Wells, these guys are really, really good in the grappling department. And I think Sabatini rolls here. So I won't spend that much more time on him. He's like minus 500 now, right? Minus 450, minus 400 you can get on Bet River. You know, I, th- I think that's probably accurate. Like if, if I'm going to say someone can be upset, like I I, I, need, I need some kind of path for, for the underdog. But what's the path for Laramie? Like, Sabatini's never been submitted, I don't think. No, he's never been submitted. He's got 15 submissions of his own. And we just saw TJ get submitted, so... And what, is TJ going to knock Sabatini out? There's no fucking way. Has he ever knocked anybody out? This It's like a little Oompa Loompa. I don't mean to be mean, but like, he's a really small fella. Uh, has he ever knocked anyone out? Anyone out? Let's see. James Dunn. 
Alright, he's got a decent amount of fin knockout finishes. Good amount, I'd say. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen here. So yeah, my pick is Sabatini. MMA Jedi saying he parlayed Pat at minus 380. Yeah, I, I did similar. I got him at minus 3... I'll tell you right now. I got him at minus 330 the first time. Then 350. Then 340 again. Not again. Then 340. Then minus 365. Minus 360. And now he's at 400. I wanted to parlay him with... Uh, who was it that I watched? Yeah. I don't even remember. I wanted to parlay him with someone else today, and then I was like, minus 400 is not worth it. Threw a half unit, just throwing darts. So Jedi's mentioning that he threw a half unit on Jenkins at plus 500, and I, I don't hate it. I, I, I was looking at him inside the distance. I was looking at him, decision, no action, but I don't know. I just feel like Close has the tools to to win a decision. Like Jedi said, I think he'll probably just wrestle Jenkins. But on the feet, I feel like Jenkins doesn't have much to offer, really. But we'll move on. All right. Oh, this is a shit show. All right. For this fight, we got Myra Buena Silva fighting Yanan Wu. Silva is seven two and one. She's thirty years old, five foot six, with a sixty six and a half inch reach, and she's training at a shoot box Diego Lima. And on the other side, you got Yanan Wu, 12-4-0, 25 years old. She's still super young, 5'8", with a 66-inch reach. And she's training at a Jackson Wink MMA, as far as I can tell from her Instagram. So you got Wu with a 2-inch reach uh, height advantage. You got Silva with a half-inch reach advantage. Doesn't really mean shit. Wu's 5 years younger. But honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I think that people are bugging a little bit here i i get why people think that silva should be the favorite but minus 400 i don't know so you pull up Wu's last fight right it was against jocelyn edwards and edwards was a last minute replacement and Wu still managed to lose so i guess that's probably why people are thinking the way they are and then she hasn't beaten anybody good either she lost to Inwao Mizuki by split decision uh she lost to Gina Mazzani in her UFC debut in 2017 and her only UFC win is against Lauren Moeller with a arm bar but I just don't I, I, I mean she's obviously not going to submit Myra but yeah I just feel like yeah it definitely is a bathroom break fight Jedi um Obviously, Silva's got the stronger striking. She's got these heavy hooks she throws. I mean, she almost murdered... Who was it when she was fighting them? Uh, not her last fight. Her last fight, she fought Manon Fioro, which, you know, is Manon. She's an animal. But, yeah, Montana, Montana De La Rosa. Myra almost killed her, like, three times. Um, if you look at her record, that's actually a draw. But if you rewatch it, round one, Silva loses a point for one of the worst... <laughs> fence grabs I've seen in the UFC probably she literally prevented a takedown so that's the fairest fence grab point deduction you can think of and she lost a point and ended up getting a draw because I, otherwise she won the fight but she's got strong striking good forward pressured I just, at distance she's not that great she loops her strikes a bit she depends on that power her output could be better She's most she's mostly good in the clinch. That's what she really likes. If she can get Wu in the clinch, which she probably can, because I don't see how Wu's going to break out of it. She seems pretty weak. I think she can hurt her a lot. Um, she, thing is, she's never grappled in the UFC. She's never taken a single fucking shot, even though she's got really good BJJ. 
the one time she won by sub in the UFC was from bottom. And, like, what is she really going to, like, she'll probably win by decision, but is she going to cover that minus 400? Wu's got decent striking. I was watching her against Edwards, and I, I thought she looked decent. I thought she was landing some solid combinations. She had a good output, very good hand speed, lots of hand feints. She was, like, moving them around. It's always good to show different looks. Good one, too. I don't remember if I said it, but I thought I thought she looked decent. Um, she's a bit hittable, so she's probably going to get fucking rocked, like, three times here, too. But, yeah, I, I'm just not really willing to bet on this, honestly. Uh, Wu's got only one KO loss. It's to Yana Kunitskaya, actually, in uh, the regional scene. No sub losses. Four sub wins of her own. Silva's got four sub wins as well. Uh, we su we we did see Silva struggle with the grappling of uh, Montana De La Rosa a little bit, but De La Rosa was an all state, uh, I mean all American high school wrestler. Wu is no such thing, and Wu does have like trips of her own, but I I'm not sure how successful that's going to be. Jedi heading out. Thank you for coming, brother. Appreciate the watch, but. Yeah, so I got Myra Buena Silva winning this fight. Uh, how? I don't know. Could be a finish, possibly. Has Wu been finished in the UFC? I don't think she has. No, she hasn't. Just three three decision losses. But yeah, give me give me Myra Buena Silva, but I'm not going to put any money on it, probably. I was considering a chalk parlay with Silva, Kianzad, and... Um, what's his fucking face and close just to have some action but i i put it on like before this before i started recording I bet mgm because that was the best odds i could find for all three of them and it's like minus 112 for that parlay so i don't think i want to play that either but yeah i think myro wins i just i'm not nearly as confident as the bookmakers or honestly not the bookmakers I, it's only the betters because you look at what the line opened at and it's actually kind of shocking it's it opened evens, right? I believe it opened evens. Yeah, this shit opened at minus one ten Myra Buena Silva and minus one ten Yanan Wu. So you know if if you got Silva at minus four fifty right now, she's minus four hundred, people went crazy betting her down immediately too. You look at it, it went right down. It wasn't like over a matter of days, it was like the line drops and then it's like down to minus three hundred. What was it? few hours later <laughs> that's crazy but honestly i think that was more accurate i think evens is probably more accurate than minus 400 i think it's going to be a close fight so that's probably that's why i'm not going to bet it i was considering a, a woo by decision sprinkle but as of now a lot of these books like you look at it so woo wins by decision is plus 240 on one book Plus two on Caesars, plus two forty on Betway, and now it's it's plus five thirty five on Five Dimes. So this shit is all over the place, and like these lines don't make any sense, right? You got Wu wins inside the distance at plus three fifty, but money line she's plus three thirty. Like no, none of that makes any sense. Um, obviously Wu doesn't win inside the distance. There's literally no way, but that should be lined way higher than three fifty, but. Kiarik saying lines are getting crazy wide with everybody chalk parlaying. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like I said, I even considered the three-person chalk parlay too. Uh, Sabatini's up there as well. 
Um, he's my more confident chalk play, but yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think this is too wide. I do think that Wu will probably make it closer. Sure, Silva is much stronger, but I don't think she She I don't think she's significantly better on the feet than Wu is. I think she's just a little bit better. And you can't say she's a better grappler because she doesn't fucking wrestle, even though she probably could. But let's move on. We got what three fights left? I'm most hyped for the co-main event, which is crazy because it's two debutantes. But all right, we got Andre Fialho versus Miguel Beza. So Fialho is 14-4-0. He's 28 years old, six feet tall, 74 inch reach, and he's another fellow out of Sanford MMA. <clears throat> like I said, fantastic camp. On the other side, you got Miguel Beza. He's 10-2-0. Excuse me, 29 years old, six foot two, 74 and a half inch reach. And he's training out of MMA Masters over there with Colby Covington and whatnot. So that's a good look, too. It's a great camp as well. We've seen some good guys come out of there other than Colby. But so I was actually pretty high on Fialho going into the UFC. I've been watching him for a sec. Um, I've actually bet against him in his LFA fight when he fought a UFC vet. It was, uh, who was it? It was like shortly after I got into betting. I, uh, I was like, meeting the wonderful world of underdogs and I, I saw this one dog I saw that he was in the UFC and I ended up going with him Antonio Dos Santos Jr. this was in 2020 since then uh, he picked up four wins in a row he knocked out uh, Steven Sekulich on the UAA Warriors uh, Sekulich is a UFC vet a not very good one at that but he is a UFC vet and then we saw him make a debut against Michel Pereira. And I, I, I bet him there because, you know, Pereira's very... Uh, he does all the things I hate. All the flashy shit, waste of energy. So at plus 230, I think I got him even higher. I, I couldn't I couldn't not hit that. And it, it, he looked great in round one. He had, um, had Michel Pereira backing up. He was landing on him really well. He hurt him a few times with the strikes. He got a really good jab, great combinations, nice hit, hook. Uh, nice check left hook. My one issue with him is he doesn't move his fucking head and he doesn't check leg kicks. And Miguel is going to throw those leg kicks. He did in his last fight against Chaos Williams. He did in his fight before that against Santiago Ponzinibbio. Um, he's been he's been throwing leg kicks pretty much since, he, since he's entered the UFC. And those things hurt. He lands those really well. And... If Fialo's not checking them, he's a bit flat-footed. Like He's going to have a hard time. And once you lose your legs, how are you going to strike? He's probably the better striker overall, is Fialo. But not by much. I think that Beza's also got good good striking. He's got good hooks. He's got a sloppy overhand, but good jabs. Good front kicks, good leg kicks, solid right hand, solid one-two. I'd say his striking defense is a bit better than Fialo, but he's a bit hittable as well. One thing I like with Beza is he's. I think he's got a grappling threat as well. He hasn't really shown it in the UFC much. Uh, he's only got one submission win, but he's a BJJ black belt, and he's pretty good. You you watch some of his earlier fights. He's pretty good on the ground. Um, Fialo, he's never been submitted, so it'll it would be the first, but it's always the first for everything. But anyways, on the feet, I do think that. Fialo might have a slight edge, but Beza's bigger. He's got the UFC experience. He's also a very solid striker. 
And I think he should hold his own there. And then I do expect him to probably mix it up and take it to the ground. I think he'd be silly not to. Um, If he doesn't, I think he's liable to get knocked out, honestly. We saw him get knocked out by Chaos Williams, and we saw him get hurt during that fight as well. We saw him get hurt during his Matt Brown fight. We saw him get hurt during his Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. Miguel Bays is a prospect, and he's a good one at that, but he's not invincible by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I do think Fialho is live, and I would say Fialho decision no action is probably not a terrible look. I don't don't even know what the odds are, and I'm not betting it because I have money on Beza, but it's not a terrible look because I do think he's live for a KO. Fialo scorecards no action is plus 170. If you're on that side, I don't hate that. But I am on the Beza side. When you get these close fights like this, you kind of just want to go with the more rounded person. Because if if they really are close on the feet, somebody something's going to have to change, right? For somebody to get the upper hand. If Beza can get it to the ground and start mixing it up, he might have a significant advantage. Even if he's not really doing much with the takedowns, if he can just threaten the takedowns and make Fialho think about those, that can already be a really good thing for the fight. Uh, Fialho got taken down once by Pereira. I don't remember. It was four attempts Pereira made. So he, I do remember him showing decent takedown defense. Um, he found the most success when he was moving forward and the least when he's moving backwards. So if he's pressuring Beza, Beza does a lot of lateral movement. And he's checking those leg kicks and just letting it rip on the feet. I think he can have a good amount of success. But I think that that's going to require like a perfect game plan. And I don't like betting on someone depending on a perfect game plan. So I did end up taking Miguel Beza. I went into this looking at Fialho and came out the other way. Uh, I don't think I played it too crazy. I did beza at minus 170 for 1.7 units and then i did a half unit parlay with pat sabatini and that was that so yeah i think i think beza wins that but it's close i can't blame anyone for fialo i'm really hyped to see him in the ufc but i think he's gonna have to add some stuff to his game to really start finding some success in the welterweight weight class all right this one i'm super hyped for i gotta take a quick potty break again i will be right back came back and my cat was on top of the shit so i hope she didn't fuck anything up but seems like we're okay all right so for this next bout we got a firefight between two uh ufc debutantes actually both of them appeared on the contender series last uh season and both are making their ufc debuts as 
the co-main event, which is pretty damn impressive, and it shows you what the UFC thinks of them. But honestly, rightfully so. Even look at those records. But we got Cal Baralo, I believe, Kai Baralo versus Godzi Omar Godziev. I'm gonna call them Baralio, and I'll call him Godzi. <laughs> That's the best I got. But um, so Baralo is 10-1-0. He's 29 years old. So. He, <clears throat> 75 inch reach the reason I skipped over the height is it says 510 but I'm learning not to trust the UFC when it comes to height and uh, measurables because they have Jarzino Rosenstruck a six foot three and the guy's like five foot eleven five foot ten and I we've we've noticed this with already a few other people Jarzino is just the most notable one and the only one I can think of at the top of my head but Baraglio is another one in my opinion so he fought uh what was his name Aaron Jeffries, right? Aaron Jeffrey, who I'm really high on as well. I thought for sure would make it to the UFC. I think he still will. But so he fought Aaron Jeffrey, right? And Aaron Jeffrey is he's six foot two. You watch that fight, they're like the same fucking height. Maybe an inch smaller as Baraglio. But there's no planet where this guy's five foot ten. Look at him. He's not five foot ten. He's just literally not. And I think that's relevant here because there is a big difference between someone who's going to be three inches shorter than Godsey or someone who's going to be his height or even taller. Um, 75 inch reach, so he's got a, quite a bit of a reach advantage. I'll go over Godsey's measurables in a sec. And he is training out of a camp called Fighting Nerds. Uh, I checked on Instagram, that's still where he's at. I don't know who's over there and who he's training under that he actually came out this good. But I do hope that he eventually switches to a better camp. I think it would work wonders for a guy like him. And then on the other side, we got Godzi Omar Gaziev. He's 13-0, and 0, undefeated fella, 29 years old, six foot one. He's got a 67-inch reach, which I think is incredibly relevant here because 75 inches to 67. That's a 8-inch reach advantage for Cal Barallo. And even, even if he's not taller, like the reach still statistically is what matters. Um... Not sure how real, how accurate it still is, but if you've never read the book, Fightnomics, they've got some interesting stats, and they're the ones that taught me that they're actually based off of the website that used to I forgot what it's called, but it they're the ones that merged with UFC and started the new UFC stats. But anyways, Fightnomics talks about it. Apparently, height on its own makes no statistical difference whatsoever. It's the reach that matters, not the height. So I, I always thought that's not the case because even if someone's taller and with a sh with the same reach or shorter reach, I thought they could like lean. But apparently, statistically, at least at the time this was written, which was a while ago, it did matter. When was this written? I'm not even sure. I bought it last year to check it out, and I, I liked it a lot. But it's very outdated for sure. And then, all right, so Godsey. You know, we, he's fighting out of, uh, he's not fighting out of Golden Team. He's training out of MMA Factory, as far as I can tell. And that's Ciro Gon's camp. That's where, uh, fuck, where's that? Who, the guy, whoever beat, um, fuck, what's his name? Nasruddin Imovov. That's where he trains. So it's a good camp. And you watch Gatsi's fight. So you watch, starting with this contender series bout, right? He's just, he's the most classic example of a Dagestani fighter that you can come up with, honestly. Like, <clears throat> if you looked up Dagestani fighter in the dictionary, there'd probably be a template that looks like him in there. He's, 
extremely grappling heavy. His striking is limited to essentially just an overhand right. There's like no jab to very little jab. Essentially no combinations and everything is a overhand right. They still land. He landed on John C. Silva a few times with that overhand and I think he hurt him. But he 100% depends on the wrestling. Even in his regional fight before that against a Russian fella who is bigger than him. Uh, Vladimir Vasilyev. You, you see the same thing. Like He was extremely dependent on that overhand, right? Which I hate. I don't, I don't think that's a good thing at all. His wrestling is spectacular. He has that insane uh, top control. Looks just like Habib when he's working on top. He made a questionable decision, in my opinion, jumping for the knee bar with uh, John C. Silva. I understand he probably wanted to leave a mark, you know, his Contender Series debut. He wanted to get that contract, and he probably did himself a favor doing it. He got the contract, you know. But that's not the most intelligent thing to do, and I think that against a guy like Kai Barrow, <laughs> Kiarix is saying MMA factory product Alan Badeau. I forgot about him. Hey, Allen did okay against our, against the greatest of all time, Parker Porter, right? So, if he can last against the GOAT. <laughs> but no, nah, that's a good point. <laughs> hey, no camp is invincible, am I right? I, I think Jordan Williams was out of Sanford too, some shit like that. So, no camp is invincible, but <laughs> that's a funny point. Um, can you imagine Allen Badeau training with uh, Francis Naganu? That must have been a sight. But anyways, so Gossi's really good on the ground. He's got very heavy top control. You saw him scoop up the legs real quick um, when he was fighting John C. That's always good to see. But, you know, Baraglio is not easy to grapple. Um, Aaron Jeffrey's a good wrestler. He's a good grappler himself, and he couldn't get a single takedown on him, I think, off like four attempts. And Baraglio actually hit three takedowns of his own, and they were pretty good. They were double legs, I believe, but they were good takedowns. His grappling, you know, it's been 100% so far, but that was just that fight. And then uh, he had a second contender series bout because Dana White must have had something up his ass crack when that when his first fight happened. He decided not to give him a contract after beating Aaron Jeffrey in a really impressive fashion. And then he gives him a contract after knocking out Jesse Murray. in the. But I'm trying to remember if Murray even shot. I don't think he did. I actually had money on Murray because... Uh, Barayo got blasted up to like plus 1,000. But let me see real quick. Yeah, no, nah, Murray didn't shoot. So he's got that 100% takedown defense, but that's strictly against Jeffries. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think his striking is what's going to make the difference here. I think his striking is significantly better than Gatsi uh, has. I think that he's got great combinations. He's got really good striking at range. He's got a great jab. He's got a good. He's got really good kicks, and he uses them really well. He uses this kind of karate style that's, a, I'd say it's a little bit different than, you know, the people that first come to mind, like Stephen Thompson. I'd compare it more to a McGregor kind of style where it's like, I want to say like fake karate kind of, it's like a mix. It's like not karate, but it you can you can tell where it's based off of. Like he's jumping around, he's got a little bit of a wide stance, and he jumps into his one-twos, right? He's like, at, he's at distance where you can't hit him, breaks the distance, Claps you with a one-two and then gets the fuck out and then does it over and over again, which I that's fantastic in my opinion. Uh, he's got a good right hand, great body kick. I think I just said that. Nice counter striking. Like I said, his striking defense, he moves out of the way really well. 
Kiarix is asking me what my thoughts are on the PFL situation. Are you talking about the one that was pre-recorded? And then there was that whole drama with it. I actually didn't bet a single one of them on that. I didn't have the time to break it down. And I saw that the, I was going to bet uh I was going to bet Terrence McKinney's teammate, the one who got the first uh, some kind of choke. He's the first person in MMA to get it. I don't remember what the choke was. I was going to bet him and then they took all the lines down cuz I guess they found out that it was pre-recorded and the lines got put back up. But no, I didn't have any of those dogs. I did any of them even hit? I thought all the favorites hit. I didn't really follow that one. I I lost interest on PFL's contender series pretty quick. It's like weird. I like the regular season better, even though that's also a shit show. I made a you know what dogs I made a lot of money off of last year. That's not UFC. One FC, the fight card when uh, Mighty Mouse lost. I made so much money on his fight on his loss. I bet on the other fellow. I forget Adriano. I bet on him at like plus seven hundred. I made a tremendous amount of money. PFL though they're fantastic for dogs. You look at the last season; it was dog century. Rauch Manfio was the dog. I think every fight he had, and he won the championship. Given he got like two robberies, but what <laughs> it is what it is. Am I right? But anyways, back to back to this fight. Uh, Baralio. What I like about him is I think that he's going to defend these takedowns. I think he's had a better cardio, and I think that after you know five, six, seven attempts, Godsey's going to be exhausted. Second round. Halfway through, he, shots aren't working no more. I think he's going to be fucking tired. And that's when Baraglio can just pop off. Because this guy's not going to get tired. And he's going to keep going. And he's going to keep fighting. Another thing I wanted to mention was... This is a bit of a you know a blind shot in the dark. But if you look at his record... Uh, Baraglio actually has a grappling match against uh, Gilton Almeida. Another guy who came off the Contender Series this past year. But we're all tremendously high on him. The dude is fucking gigantic. He's like a Brazilian Habib. And I didn't get to fully watch the, the grappling. I, I got to watch like a, some highlights. I don't remember what show it was a part of, but they did like this thing where it was like a tag team versus tag team uh, BJJ thing. And I guess what happened was Gilton <laughs> decided to just cover his team and he, he did all the matches. I don't think anyone from his team grappled other than him. And you look at his record, it's just like a bunch of BJJ matches in a row. Those are all from one night from that same like round. It, they're all teammates. They were the teammates of Baraglio. And is the only one who didn't get subbed out of that bunch. I didn't get to see much, but in my head, what I'm thinking is, if you're not getting subbed by a guy as big and strong and as talented as Jonathan Almeida, I like your chances for surviving on the ground in the UFC. Um, granted, Godsey's going to be a beast on the ground. So it's really, really hard to know without seeing Baraglio for sure tested. But I ended up taking Baraglio. I, I went into this not sure which way I would lean. Uh, I took Baraglio at plus 120. I got him for a unit and a half. And I think I'm going to leave it there. I'm kind of curious what Baraglio round three will look like. Because if we get there, I think Gatsy's going to be fucking exhausted. Has he ever been to round three? Let's see. His last fight before the Contender Series was a decision win. And then before then, he's never been out of round two. He does. He does have. Um, he went eight three and zero as an amateur, and he went to decision there once, twice, three times. So he's been to some decisions, but amateur that it's only three three minute rounds. So that's only nine minutes. That's not even two full rounds in pro fighting. Um, 
and I, I do expect him to tire out. I just I can't bet on a guy whose cardio is going to be questionable and who's only got one path to victory. Because on the feet, I don't think he stands a chance unless he lands a lucky overhand right. So, yeah, give me Cal Barrow. I like him to win. I'm really hyped to see both of these guys in the UFC. I'm pretty shocked that they lined them up against each other. But it is what it is. What can you do? But, yeah, I like Barrow to win that one. And then the rematch that no one asked for. <laughs> First off, I just want to note, <clears throat> out of everyone who's hated on on Twitter from the MMA community, I think Bolao is, <laughs> is the least deserving of the shit he gets. I remember seeing it for the first time, how much people don't like him on there, and I was like, why? Like, I guess because they say he's boring, but I just think it's so funny how he constantly gets roasted. <laughs> he takes it well, he's a good sport, but... I just I think that's just mad funny. But anyways, so for our main event of the evening, we got a five round bout at welterweight between Vicente Luque and Bilal Muhammad. Luque's thirty years old. He's twenty one seven and one, <clears throat> five foot eleven and with a seventy six inch reach. And he is training out of. So I know he normally trains out of Sanford. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I love that camp, but. According to his Instagram, I believe he's in Brazil right now. So it's, I don't think that he's training out of Sanford right now, but that's where he normally trains, if I'm correct. And then on the other side, you got Bilal Muhammad, 23 and 0. He's 33 years old, 5 foot 11, with a 71 inch reach, and he normally trains out of Rufus Sport, but he's also somewhere else, according to his Instagram. Uh, I could last place him at Chicago Fight Team, so. I guess he stepped out of the big camp for a second. Maybe he wanted to get some more personalized training. Who knows? But <clears throat> I don't look. I don't think Luke knocks him out again. But I don't. I don't think the Bilal wins. So he's giving up five inches in reach, right? And you look at his fights. Like, what's his path? So I looked at the Stephen Thompson fight, and if you just look at the stats, right? It looks like Muhammad. It looks like he he outstruck Luke by a lot, right? I mean, not Luke. He outstruck uh, Stephen Thompson by a lot, fifty-eight to nineteen. But then you pull up the actual stats. He <laughs> of those. So it was what 57, 57 significant strikes. I said fifty-eight. Fifty-five of those were on the ground. So the guy Bilal landed three, three strikes he landed against Stephen Thompson at distance. Three out of 58 strikes that he landed were at distance. 55 were on the ground. So, that that's really telling. That's really fucking telling. He couldn't land for shit against Stephen Thompson. Now, I was watching it. Thompson was landing on his back foot and anytime Bilal couldn't get him down, he was getting beat up on the feet. Um, I had money on Thompson there and I was super frustrated when Bilal just kept taking him down. He's like a welterweight version of Marab, honestly. He's Bilal. He's relentless with his wrestling. Just nonstop. Keeps going. Chain wrestling. He's really good at it. Very solid on top. He's got a great double leg. 91% uh, takedown defense in his own right, but I doubt Luke even tries to take him down. Luke's got that dope Darce, so I do expect him to sprawl and go for the Darce, possibly. I wouldn't be surprised. He's hit it two times in a row against Woodley after hurting Woodley. And then the comeback against uh, Michael Chiesa, that was pretty f fucking awesome, even though I lost money. 
Chiesa had his back. Looked like he was going to submit him. And then Luque gets out and immediately hits a Dars on Chiesa and finishes him. But I think that's live. Bilal's never been submitted, but there's a first time for everything. Luque's been submitted once, but Bilal's only got one sub win. And you look at the striking. You know, I think Luque, there's a lot of shit to like. He's got really nice uh, one-twos. He's got really straight punches, good combinations, good jab, good leg kicks, great speed, great kicks, great hooks. Uh, he's got that right hand that he clipped, clipped Woodley with. Uh, I see Kiaris is saying Bilal late sub rounds four and five. I don't hate it. That's not a terrible look. You know, have we seen Luke even go five rounds yet? I know Bilal was supposed to with Leon. And honestly, he didn't look very good against Leon, but... Uh, has Luke had any five-rounders? I don't think he has. So that's a good point. I mean, we don't know. We don't know how his cardio is going to be. We don't know if his takedown defense will hold up over after the first three rounds. What happens if he can't finish Bilal again? Because I don't think he finishes Bilal again. I think this is going to go the distance probably. Um, I don't hate that look at all. I'm actually curious what it, what the stat, what the odds will look like. Maybe I'll hedge that way. Let's see. Can we bet it yet? No, we can't bet it yet, I don't think. No, nah, not by the rounds, but Muhammad round uh, four is plus 2,800 on, on DraftKings, and Muhammad round five is plus 3,500. So I imagine the submission is going to be even higher. I'm probably going to have a 0.1 unit on both of those. Thank you, QRX. But yeah. I do still think that Luque's got the better striking overall. I think that if Bilal's unable to get him down, I think he's going to have a really hard time on the feet. I think he's going to get bopped on the feet, honestly. But I think that the wrestling is going to serve as a really big equalizer. And I think that he is going to take Luque down. I think he's going to wear on him. He's going to try to tire him out. He's going to have to be careful with that Dars. Uh, Luque's going to be active with it. I do expect him to sh attempt it at least once. Um, Kiarik saying Leon was piecing Bilal up bad. In round one, I agree. I agree. I uh, I thought Bilal didn't stand a chance after watching that first round, and then I think honestly Bilal got lucky with that eye poke because that wasn't going to go his way otherwise. At least now he's got a no contest rather than a no on his record. But yeah, that wasn't going well for him. That's why I think Bilal, you know, even if he wins this somehow, the, he should take a sec before he goes for any title shots or anything like that. I think he's still got a lot of things he's got to shape out, particularly on the feet. I don't know how he's going to hang with some of the better guys, including Luke. Luke's got really fucking good striking. I know we've seen him go to some wars with guys who aren't as great now, like uh, Brian Barbarina. That was an absolute war if you haven't seen that fight. Fantastic fight. Um, but, you know, the guys he was supposed to kill, he killed. Uh, Tyron Woodley, <laughs> Darce choked him. Uh, Randy Brown, that was a fun fight. It was actually very close in my opinion, but he ended up finishing Randy Brown. Uh, I watched that actually right before hopping on this. But yeah, I mean, I'm not extremely confident in Luque. Uh, I have four units on him total. I have him money line at... What did I take Luque at? I took him at minus 166 for 2.1 units. And then I've got him parlayed with Sabatini for two units. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm worried he'll get wrestle fucked. But other than that, as long as he can keep it up, I think he'll, he'll be fine. I do intend on... Um, taking Kiarix's advice though and taking I think I'm gonna hedge with that sub round four and five what I'm finding personally for myself is that with these with these props that are like plus a thousand plus 1400 whatnot when you find something like that and you think it's got a shot to hit 
you're already probably thinking it's got a better chance than the implied probability. And, you know, you put a 0.1 unit. You can w say, say it's plus 1,400. 0.1 wins you 1.4 units. You lose that bet, you lose 0.1 units. You win that bet, you win 1.4. As long as you've got an edge on those and you're hitting them more, like, not more often than you don't because you're going to lose those most of the time. But as long as you're hitting them enough, you're going to end up up. You only got to hit them. Like, I'm a terrible fucking math person, so I'm not giving you exact numbers or stats of how much you got to hit them. I'm just saying it adds up. But anyways, yeah, I like Luke to win, but I'm, I'm nervous about a few things. But that's about it for that. And yeah, that's the card. <laughs> we just killed it. Uh, less than two hours, so that's good. Got two people watching with us. Kiarix, my boy, and MMA Jedi. Um, I guess I can go over Bellator real quick. I have just one place, so, well, two plays so far. I've got Vadim Nemkov, money line, 1.3 units at minus 160. And I've got him parlayed with uh, McKee for two units. But this was before McKee flew up. I got McKee at minus 255, and then I got him at minus 215. And he's now, McKee's like minus 320, minus 300. That's wide. Minus 350, I'm seeing. Points bet has McKee at minus 445. No, that's wide. Um, did I hedge that five-unit parlay? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did, Kiarix. I, I guess you missed it, but I hedged. Um, it wasn't just <laughs> five units. It was it was five units on Hamzat, Yan, and Volkanovsky. And then it was 2.5 units on Hamzat, Yan, Volkanovsky, Patty, and Mokhaev. And yeah, I, I hedged with my Aljamain Sterling by decision bet. And it covered a little bit. It was so... but I mean, technically, it covered that 7.5 fully because I cashed out eight units profit on that. So that was good. But then we lost a few other bets with Yan and whatnot. So, Oh, and we also lost a good amount of money on fucking Hamzat and Burns deciding to go the distance, huh? Literally every time you say something like, there's no way this goes to decision. That shit goes to decision. <laughs> but, yeah, so, AJ McKee, you know, I think he wins. I don't think he's going to finish uh, Pitbull as fast as he did last time, but I do think he wins. I think it's going to be close. I don't think anybody should be betting him in at minus 300. He's much bigger, which I like a lot. He's got better striking, I think, and maybe he doesn't have the same power, but I care more about technique. And the grappling, it's hard to tell without them actually really going after it, but I I lean McKee with the grappling. And good for him for trying to get a Volkanovski fight, even though he's never going to fucking get it. Coker looks just pathetic when he's saying things like, oh, it's up to Dana White. Like, why would Dana ever want to do it? They have nothing to gain and everything to lose, and then Bellator has everything to gain and nothing to lose. It's just a terrible business decision. And then Nemkov, I think that Nemkov beats Corey. Corey's main best weapon is his wrestling, and Nemkov is a good grappler himself. And then on the feet, I think Nemkov is better. Um, not insanely confident, but I like them. Yan losing in Hamzat fight doesn't go. Colossal losses for Kiarix. Me too, brother. Me too. Was not good. Yan losing, you know, it, it hurt my pockets, but what it really hurt was my heart. <laughs> I'm such a big Yan fight and fan, and honestly, the night of, I thought it was a robbery. But rewatching it now, you know, I still personally give round one to Yan, but I don't think I can blame anybody, including the judges, for going with uh, Sterling, especially with 
I do think that Sterling could have been given the 10-8. I think he could have, which would have made the score even further. So, as much as I love Yan, I think he's got to pick up that round one. He cucked, he he cucked himself losing round one, but yeah. So that's a wrap. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you Kiaris for tuning in and chatting with me when nobody else would. And uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow for our fantasy edition show.